Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are still in 1 Nephi 8 through 11, and we will just be going through some symbolism and allegories and answer the question, what do some of these things mean? Next on the 20-Minute Scriptorian. All right, so there are so, there are so many places you can go and so much material that you can get on uh, the Lehi's dream and then Nephi's dream next week, and it is... Uh, hard to really know what is helpful. So what I wanted to do is, as we've kind of learned <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, there may be four steps that's a good way to just look at scripture. There's no right or wrong way. There's just a way. And we talked about those four steps being first, just the who, what, why. Then the second, look at the allegory. Third, the application. And fourth, the mysticism. So I'm going to if we take number one through section first uh, Nephi eight through eleven, I'm going to assume that you know what happened, or you can read that. It is really powerful. I just reread it again just just now, uh, just to have it really fresh in mind as we discussed it. And I had so many things that I wanted to research and look up, and thoughts I had, and so it's really powerful. Uh, there's so much material, so please take a second to go back and reread it. And, but I wanted to do today is look at the allegory and say, what are a couple of these things? What do they, what do they mean? Where do we see them? So first, one clue I think to, to look at is what do these things mean? We're talking specifically about Lehi's dream is, remember he has other visions and other dreams, so we're doing the tree, the tree, is that look at where things are used elsewhere. So you will have some where Nephi gets an interpretation of Lehi's dream, and that's really helpful. We see some that we talked about last time for, say, Joseph or Daniel. So there's some places where meaning is given to dreams. Sometimes dreams and visions and revelations, there isn't a lot of meaning given. Uh, but in this case, there is. And so that's super helpful. But I, if you want to see some other deeper meanings and also start to uh, build on that that you're going to see, one thing to do is look at where else these elements are used. So a tree. Now, one note. Not everything's symbolic in the scriptures. So when you look, not every time they describe a tree is it going to be the same symbol. Um, and they don't always cross over either. So sometimes um, there will be many trees will be spoken of in the scriptures and they don't necessarily all mean the exact same thing. So you don't want to get too broad a brush when looking at this or try to overemphasize something. It's called parallelism when you kind of get carried away. And so just... Just kind of poke at it and see if you can't find some additional insights and meanings as you go. <clears throat> so the first thing, again, is where else is it used uh, elsewhere in the scriptures? And so as we look for clues, um, we're going to look for that. So tree. Where else do you see a tree? 
Well, man, the first place that came to mind, and probably came to your mind as well, is the Garden of Eden. So there's not just one tree, right? There are two trees that are unique in the in the Garden of Eden. We, in Genesis, we learn that the trees are formed in the in the Genesis version, in the Moses Abraham Temple version. They all have slightly different orders of things. There isn't just heads up. I don't believe that there's a right order. I think they're trying to teach us something. So I'm just going to refer to the Genesis uh, version because you have that. Um, is that in the Genesis version of the creation, there are two trees, and they are created before the other trees. So they're created first. And first there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. So to kind of understand those, let's just kind of think about it for a second. Let's talk big picture. Placement and purpose. Where, where, where are these things found, and what's their purpose? So for these trees, um, they're on Earth, right? So Earth is created, and then... There's a place called Eden, and it's sometimes say they say eastward in Eden. So Eden's kind of a area, and then there's a garden in Eden. So it kind of goes, um, you know, big picture, smaller, smaller, smaller. And so you go kind of earth, Eden, garden. And then where's the tree placed? If you say about this tree of life, let's talk about that one first. Where was the tree placed? It's in the middle it specifically tells us that this tree is not like on the outskirts or overhidden in a corner. It is central. It is plunked down, boop, right in the middle of the garden. So it's kind of, um, both stories are, uh, both trees are in the middle. But in the Genesis story, um, it's something interesting that they're kind of, uh, not quite concentric circles, but if you know, you kind of think of a bullseye, you're going in, in, in like that, right? Now think about what was the purpose of this place of Eden. Lots of things, but something that jumps out at me is this is one of the places is this is the place that um, mankind is created, that God created for him and her. And it is the place where they're most comfortable. And it's the place where they walk and talk with God. So that is where God is and interacts with those that bear his image, right? His image bears. Those are the those that are most like him, in our case, his children. So is there a pl- another place? So now we've got that in mind. Is there another place that has tr- maybe trees and plants and has different areas like levels or kind of concentric circles? Um, in Eden, there's the garden, right? And then in, there's Eden, then the garden, then the tree in the middle. How about a place that maybe has an outer courtyard and a holy place and a holy of holies? (laughs) Or maybe a place that has kind of a celestial kingdom and then a terrestrial kingdom and then a celestial kingdom? Yeah, you got it. This is temple symbolism. So the thing that reminds me the most of a tree and a vision and a place where God has built for his people, his image bearers, his children, is going to smack dab just ring all kinds of bells that this is temple symbolism so it's the place where heaven and earth meet where God can meet his children a place where he invites us to come and partake and be with him to return home to be taught to uh, experience life what it would be like with him so have you ever noticed too that the ancient temple was decorated with trees and fruit Um, so in the ancient temple there's a big branching tree it's the lampstand, the menorah. It even has like budding and growing almond buds on it. So it's very clearly a big tree. Um, and modern temples today, uh, many of them have 
uh, paintings of nature and the garden for the same reason. Uh, there are also some other places that that some of the uh, the fruit and things are are shown, uh, but there are um, pomegranates. So the high priest's robes have pomegranates and little bells decorating the bottom of it, and it talks about other plants and pomegranates. So here's just a weird aside, though. If you ever think about the Garden of Eden story in Western culture, and they'll talk about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sometimes it's the apple, right? It never says it's an apple, but you and I have all grown up where people keep calling it an apple or they'll use a symbol of an apple. It's just a fruit. It doesn't say an apple. If you were in a Semitic culture, like a Hebrew culture, they think the tree of life is a pomegranate tree. So it's the pomegranate tree, right? It has all the seeds giving life. And so you'll see there's a couple celebrations at New Year where you celebrate with honey for the sweetness and pomegranates. And um, symbols of pomegranates are everywhere. They obviously grow uh, naturally there or in similar climates like where I grew up, San Diego. Oh, somebody's here. Or things like um, uh, Spain, uh, Mediterranean, right? Lots of pomegranates. So it was very common fruit. Apples weren't common there, but, but pomegranates are. Anyway, an aside. Um, but those are decorating, pomegranates are decorating the ancient temple. And so the in this tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's a fruit. In Lehi's, it talks about the fruit being uh, desirous and delicious and it also talks about being white so pure and life-giving and some different things there all right so we've kind of started what is this tree well in the eden story we kind of talked about where it was in the middle the tree of life uh, it's where god is um, and god is in the middle and so a lot of times you'll see this as a symbol of a person right it's the person of the lord right so and if you think about it a tree kind of reminds you of a person, right? If you were to look at uh, a tree, uh, you know, standing out away from you a little bit, it's standing on the ground and it's, you know, tall and then it's got these branches and so it looks like a person. So a lot of times you'll see that some of these trees will be symbolic of a person. So it's it's life-giving and in this case, it's probably similar to the Savior or the Lord uh, who's giving us life, the source of this life, right, the Son of God. Okay, so that's that's one place that we can kind of start with a tree. There are a few other ways that trees kind of are similar to people, and you'll see a lot of the descriptions of trees where they have roots and branches and seeds that metaphor continues on. Uh, it's very common in, in all of our scriptures that these the trees and roots and vines and branches are seen like f the family tree, right? So Isaiah is famous, the, the root and the stump and the branches. And, and then we see in, in Jacob, right, the allegory of the olive tree, that the branches are grafted and natural and wild. Um, so not to mix too many stories together and assume they all mean the same thing, but it is really common and to have trees being used and to see them like family. The root of Jesse or the stem of Jesse um, and the tree in Israel will be cut down root and stem and the stump is burned in, in, uh, in Isaiah 6. And so you'll see those symbolism. It's talking about this family of Judah and Christ's family. So very similar, and, and that makes sense to us because we use the same terms, right? It's a branch of my family tree, and the seed is, is offspring and family and a continuation. So 
just some other ways that you'll see this commonality of being a person or a family uh, very common in this tree. Let's talk about fruit for a minute. So right in 1 Nephi 8, there is a quote about the fruit of this tree, and it says, And it came to pass, and I did go forth, this is Lehi talking, and partake of the fruit of, of the tree, and I beheld that it was most sweet, and above all I had ever tasted before, that I had, that I ever tasted, ah, sorry, it was the most sweet above all that I ever before tasted, yay, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. So this detail about, I love the, the details it's trying to tell us of this fruit. You can almost just participate with Lehi as he's partaking it, that it was, that it was uh, desirable, but we hear it was most sweet above all that I ever tasted and that it was white and it was even exceedingly white. It was whiter than anything he had seen before. So why do you think it was sweet? right? Why was it sweet? It wasn't bitter. He didn't go, oh, hoped I hadn't been into that. So we, we get that about it being, um, why it would be sweet, but why white? Uh, I was going to tell you about a couple other references about the tree of life, um, in the garden having, being white, uh, in Enoch and the Enoch, Enoch's apocryphal. Um, it shows up right around the time of Christ and it was super popular in, um, Judaism a century or so before Christ and a century or so after Christ. In fact, some of the stuff in First Peter that Peter refers to seems to refer to all the angels and stuff is referring to Enoch because, again, it was very popular. And so while we don't have it as what we call canon, um, we still have copies of it. So it wasn't written in Enoch's day, clearly. Uh, but but it So we don't believe that it's a true scripture, but it does have some interesting insights into it. And it talks about the, a tree of life uh, looking, uh, being completely white and that it had a fruit that was very white and it was kind of like grapes um, and it, you know, very tall and powerful and bright, this, this tree of life. Um, also, in um, some other ancient religions in, in the Mediterranean, the tree, there's a tree of life. It's very common in many religions is a tree of life and that it's white. It's white. And so uh, interesting that here that the symbol is uh, that we can see it as being white why white why white now we have a lot of other things that are white if you think of your baptismal clothing are white uh, the garments of the holy priesthood are white um, various things are white and we usually think of them as being holy sacred pure right so this idea of the um, the fruit being white Another place in the ancient temple, the uh, the Aaronic priesthood robes were white that they wore most of the time. There are a few other places where in the ancient temple where they had a ro uh, robes that went over it that had other colors, right? But there was white there. And in fact, white in the tabernacle, there was kind of a screen kind of wall that they built outside the temple to delineate that, that was the outline of the tabernacle, I mean. And it was white. Um, also, a lot of times you'll hear other things like we just read in the book of Revelation. They see the Lord and he is white or uh, Daniel 7 or other revelations of Lord. It's um, section 76, 110, that it's white and it's something like white, like his hair was woolly, like uh, 
wool or white like wool and snow and white. So it's this purity and power and holy and sacred. So I think there's, it's trying to tie that into us um, that, th- that this is something good. So think about other places where white is used um, and, and maybe sweet. There are some other things where there's some visions of sweet. And so he says it's sweet and not bitter, nothing else like that. So can you think of any? Let's go to Ezekiel. So there are at least two other places I can think of. Uh, I just mentioned Ezekiel. We'll go there in a second, Ezekiel 3, and then also Revelation that we had just gone to last, a couple weeks ago, finishing up the New Testament, where the prophet is having a vision of God, very similar here to Lehi and now Nephi, and they're going to uh, eat something. Now, in this case, they're going to eat a scroll as opposed to a fruit. Okay, so that's interesting. Um, Maybe there's a connection, maybe not. But here's what it says in... Ezekiel 3.3. So Ezekiel's having this vision and says, I, uh, he, I opened my mouth and he fed me the scrolls. Verse 2. Son of man, he said to me. He calls him that like human all the time. Son of man. Eat and fill your stomach with the scroll I'm giving you. So I ate and it was sweet as honey on my mouth. And then he said, son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. So we see that Ezekiel is getting a book, a message And when he eats it, it says it's sweet as honey in his mouth. And then go to Revelation 10. And there is a similar story there. Uh, It says the angel has a small scroll. 10.10. Revelation 10.10. And I went to the angel and said, give me the small scroll. Take it and eat it. I mean, this is strange, right? They're They're not reading these scrolls. They're taking the scriptures, they're taking the events, they're taking the writings, and they are making it part of them. They're ingesting it. They're uh, uh, just something more profound, right? But it's interesting. Think about that. The fruit, they're eating the fruit. They're not cooking the fruit or passing out the fruit or setting it in a bowl or I don't know what else you do with fruit, but they are eating it. In this case, it's a scroll. And again, I'll read 1010. And I went to the angel and said, give me the small scroll. Take it and eat it, he said. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. So I took the small scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned bitter. And they told me, you must prophesy again about peoples and nations and tongues. So the message itself is sweet, but as he's going to find out, the results of this are going to be poor. People aren't going to receive the prophet John's message, and so it's bitter in his stomach. Not because the message isn't good. It's because it didn't rest well with the people, right? So a lot of symbolism here um, and very similar. And this one, as they eat the fruit, it's sweet. Anyway, a couple other places that we can see the sweetness and some other perhaps meanings and carryovers. Okay, so ask yourself, what is the tree? What can you do with that? If we've done kind of what happened and we've done some allegory, at least some kind of poking around at it, is there something application-wise is there something that this tree of life means to you that you can say, How, what is the Lord trying to communicate to me about this communication of this tree and its fruit and then your participation with it? That's it, Scriptorians. Uh, next, we will jump on to a little bit more into chapters 9, 10, and 11 before we keep going on to Nephi's dream. So stay tuned and keep on reading. You guys are doing absolutely great. Thanks, as always, for sharing 
Thanks always for being part of this journey with me and we'll continue on being disciples of Christ together. That someone, uh, that everyone should read. All right, one quick story before we go into how to study a little bit more.